Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Our first reading today is 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And our second reading is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Good morning, church family. Before I start, let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, wonderful to sing praises to your name. It's wonderful to acknowledge you as the way maker. Lord, you have made a way to reconcile us with yourself through the sacrifice of your son. Oh Lord, we come here this morning praising you for that sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, for the men and women, boys and girls that have walked through this door today with one focus in their hearts, and that is to worship you. Thank you, gracious Lord, for this community, Follow Baptist Church. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have to come here and worship you so openly. Lord, we pray that during this holiday time, Lord, that you would be with many of our attendees and members who are out traveling and on holiday, that you would watch over them, that you would keep them safe on the roads as they travel about. We ask you to also be with those who have Uh, lost loved ones and are struggling with sickness, Lord. We think and are mindful of the gardeners, Lord, who have had to prepare two funerals for their parents this past week, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to lift them up, love them, and encourage them uh, through, uh, through your word and through other believers around them, Heavenly Father. So, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, and as we expand more on this value of generosity, Lord, help us each to evaluate our own hearts with regards to this value. Speak to each man, woman, and child here today. Open their hearts and give them your word to understand how they should apply it specifically to their walk with you. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. All right, so my name is Craig. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, today I have the privilege of talking to you about uh, our next in our series on values, which is on generosity. 
Over the past few weeks, we've covered a few of our values. Uh, we've had spirit-led, Bible-based, service-led, prayerful, and welcoming. And today we focus on our generosity value. Um, not sure if we can get it up on the screen. And can we pop the website up? Oh, not the website. Anyway, yeah, I'll read it to you. As recipients of God's generosity, this is from our website, we will express generosity to the world. We will give, we will sacrifice, we will lay our lives down in every area possible. We will be generous because it reflects the character of God. We, will, we believe stinginess repels, but generosity attracts. What do you think, follow? Do we as a church reflect this value? Do you as an individual reflect these values? Well, instead of today being a sermon generated by a financial crisis, this is a sermon to a congregation that has proved itself very generous. Testified by not only the generosity that you provide through finances, but the generosity through your service to God's kingdom. In my time here at Follow, I have seen time and time again a congregation of believers with generosity overflowing. Church family, I want to commend you in this area of generosity. You're a church that is generous with your time, your talents, and your money. I see it evidenced across multiple areas of our church. The generosity of those who faithfully serve at the food van, giving of their time to help those who are doing it rough. The generosity of members who step in when others are in need, who open their homes to those who are struggling, who provide meals, transport, support, and a shoulder to cry on to those in need. Generosity with your different talents, whether it's worship, set up and pack up, welcoming, hospitality, Sunday school, MCGs, the list goes on and on. Even as a church leadership, we decided for this year's budget to increase our tithe as a church and direct more funds towards missions and outreach because of your generosity. Yes, even though we have a large building project to fund, we want to put into practice the things that we preach. And so we have decided to support Neil and Jocelyn Rowcroft serving as missionaries in Niger in West Africa or continually continue to support them. The Breakfast Club, where each Tuesday a group of volunteers from Follow cook breakfast for Year 7s and seek to point them to Christ. The Blessed Collective Food Van that ministers each Tuesday and Thursday to those struggling in our community. 1188, where the team ministers to others around body image, but also around spiritual matters. The Staunton family, preparing to travel to and minister in Cambodia. The Swanston family, who serve on a missionary ship that ministers around the world. This are some of the targets of your generosity in which we are helping. It's wonderful to see the outpouring of this generosity from you, church. But as with everything, there is always room for us to improve. So having set that background, today I'm going to focus on three main points. First, I want to discuss what we mean by generosity in the context of God's generosity and God's economy. 
Secondly, I want to focus on what the Word says about the partnership that we have with the Lord when it comes to generosity. And finally, we will look at a few practical aspects of being generous. As we unpack the value of generosity, we need to look at it across all aspects of our lives. You see, when God gives us a principle, He doesn't do it in half measures. Generosity isn't just about money. Generosity is about every aspect of your life. Since we are called to be a living sacrifice for God, this means that our lives, that our living sacrifice, must span across all the blessings that God has given us. We see from Scripture this morning that we are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future, so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. I like to call it the three T's. We are to be generous with our time that God has given us, with our talents that God has given us, and with the tithe that God has given us. This morning, I will focus a little more on tithe and financial generosity. As Luke has already covered quite a bit of talent and time, and I will encourage you to listen to his sermon on Christian service, one of the values he preached on. So one of the greatest challenges facing first world Christians is not persecution by the world, but seduction by the world. Unlike our Christian brothers and sisters living in countries with oppressive regimes, where, interestingly enough, the church is flourishing, our danger is far more insidious. We aren't under attack from the outside. We are decaying from within. We've let our God down against worldliness. And as a result, a love of the things of this world has infiltrated the church. 150 years ago, Charles Spurgeon wrote, One reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. The same is true now. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel has created churches that focus on materialism and worldly wealth. A well-known prosperity preacher would say to the masses that if they wanted a miracle for their sickness and disease, they needed to give money to God. No money, no miracles. Giving to God was the secret to unlocking their dreams. It was the secret to job promotions. It was access to their divine bank account. This is not what we at Follow believe, and it is not what we preach. Let me be honest with you. Because of all of this, it's difficult for me to speak about money in the church. So why am I, as an individual, speaking about financial generosity? Perhaps it's because I am a businessman and have wrestled with this area and my own failings in it often. Perhaps it's because the Lord often allows us to teach those areas that we struggle with the most. And why are we as a church, talking about financial generosity? Well, it's because there are more than 2,350 verses in the Bible on how to handle money and possessions. It is one of the topics that Jesus spoke about more than almost any other topic. Why? Why is it 
that of all the lessons the Lord taught his disciples, Jesus chose to focus that much more on money. Let's face it, much of our life revolves around the use of money. And because of this, I believe that money and possessions are the primary competitor with Christ for our affections. Say that again. Money and possessions are the primary competitor with Christ for our affections. I also believe that how we handle our money affects our relationship and walk with the Lord. Money is an excellent spiritual thermometer, giving you a glimpse into the strength of your trust and faith in the Lord. Along with private prayer and private study of God's Word, it is often an unseen activity known only to us and to the Lord. So while you are sitting here this morning, let's do a quick thermometer test on the, the strength of your walk. When it comes to prayer, besides grace at meals, do you take the time for one-on-one, -on -one deep, meaningful prayer and communion with the Lord? When it comes to studying the Bible, do you hear from God each day through the study of His Word? When it comes to your wallet, is your giving a knee-jerk reaction to the bucket coming around on a Sunday? Or is your giving more purposeful? Is your generosity and your attitude perhaps similar to the story of a highly successful businessman who was once asked to make a substantial donation to an urgent charity appeal? Listen to his interesting response here. The businessman listened to the case presented and then he said, I can understand why you approached me. Yes, I do have a lot of money and yours is an important cause. But are you aware that I have a lot of calls upon my money? Do you know that my mother needs 24-hour nursing care? No, came the reply. Did you know my sister is struggling to raise a family of eight on her own? Uh, no, we didn't, came the reply. Did you know I have one son in a drug rehab clinic and another doing voluntary work overseas? No, we didn't, came the reply. Well, if I don't give them a cent, what makes you think I'll give any to you? <laughs> This is a man who clearly did not understand the nature of generosity. His money was clearly his idol. What about you? What place does money have in your heart? Are you reading your Bible for comfort and the barefoot investor for direction? Do you make financial decisions and then ask the Lord to bless them? Or do you first seek the Lord's guidance before making those decisions? These are all questions we need to be continually asking ourselves. And Jesus was continually asking his listeners the same types of questions, challenging them around this issue and connecting their hearts to their wallets. Maxi Jarman, a Christian businessman, started a company that at one time was the world's largest clothing company. Jarman gave away millions to all kinds of Christian causes. Then he lost his company and most of his personal income. During the darkest days, he was asked by a friend if he ever thought of the millions he'd given away over the years. Jarman answered, of course I have. But remember, I didn't lose a penny I gave away. I only lost what I kept. Say that again. I didn't lose a penny I gave away. I only lost what I kept. That's the paradox of the Christian life. What we give, we keep. What we hold on to, we lose. 
Proverbs 11 says that one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. This is the principle I see throughout God's word. When we're willing to empty ourselves, we become full. No gift that we make to God will ever leave us poorer. To understand how we can be generous, we need to understand the essence of God's generosity. That generosity is shown to us both spiritually and physically. Spiritually, we see the Lord's generosity in Ephesians 1. Let me just unpack a few of those verses for us, just to paint you this wonderful picture of how generous God has been to us. Verse 3, He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, He has adopted us into His family and treated us as His own children. Verse 7, We have redemption and forgiveness. Verse 8, The riches of His grace which He has lavished upon us. What a powerful description of God's generosity. Verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. In verse 14, we have the Holy Spirit, which is his guarantee of our inheritance. So that's a reflection of God, how God blesses us spiritually. Well, what about physically? There are many verses around how God blesses us physically and how generous he is towards us physically. But Matthew 6 tells the story of how we are clothed better than the lilies of the field or the birds of the air and that we are not to be anxious about what we are to wear, and those types of things. And that gives us an indication of God's generosity to us physically as well. Whatever you truly need, spiritual or physical, God has promised to supply it. Do you need forgiveness? God will abundantly pardon. Do you need more grace? His grace is sufficient for you. Do you need hope? He's the God of hope. Are you tired and about to give up? He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you confused about the future? In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Do you need a miracle? Nothing is impossible with God. Are you worried about what may happen? Fear not, says the Lord, for I am with you always. Do you need salvation? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Salvation through Christ is the greatest demonstration of God's generosity that we could ever receive. The gift of Christ forms the foundation of the whole scheme of salvation for all of lost mankind. And God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is our best response to all of this generosity. We can only echo the psalmist when he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I had to work my favorite verse in there somewhere. <laughs> in our Timothy and Corinthians verses that Nathan has read out, Paul begins to unpack a partnership that exists between God and us. One that highlights both God's generosity on one side, along with our responsibilities on the other side. In Timothy, Paul charges us to set our hopes not on riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This demonstrates God's generosity. 
But then Paul follows it up with what we need to do to receive this on the other side of that partnership. Do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. These are our responsibilities. 2 Corinthians follows the same approach. On the one side, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, God's generosity. We may do what? What must we do? What's our responsibility? We may abound in every good work, our responsibility. God's generosity and our responsibility. Do you see it? We have a responsibility to sow lavishly, sow bountifully, and sow with the right heart. So in this partnership, what then is our responsibility? Faithful stewardship is our responsibility. 1 Corinthians 4 says, It is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Now a steward is someone who is a manager of someone else's possessions. That's someone, that someone else is the Lord. He's the sole owner of everything. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. He's the owner of the land. In Leviticus, we see the Lord says, The land is mine. All the treasures are his. He says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. It is critically important for us to recognize God's ownership before we can have a true attitude towards possessions. If we are going to be genuine followers of Christ, then we must acknowledge that all that we have belongs to the Lord. When we acknowledge God's ownership, every spending decision becomes a spiritual decision. I say that again. Every spending decision should become a spiritual decision, not just the 10%. So what does this mean to be a faithful steward? What does it look like? Well, a faithful steward needs to be faithful with all of the resources that God has given you. Your time, your talent, and your tithe. In churches today, we are taught to tithe 10% of our salaries. But most Christians often need to be taught how to handle the other 90%. The New Testament speaks more about the 100% than the 10%. When it comes down to the crunch and you stare at your bank balance after your wages have been paid, how much should you give? How much is enough? How much do you think the Bible tells you to give? Regardless of your beliefs about tithing, one thing you cannot avoid is that God commands you to give generously. You need to strive to let your tithe to the church be the start of your giving, not the end. There will be times in your life when you may not be able to give as much as you like. But aim to, to steward your resources in such a way that you may be able to give more. For you, this may mean you need to cut back on some of your expenses or pick up extra work to pay off debt. Some of that debt may be chewing up your income and preventing you from giving as much as you would like. Remember, it's not about looking for the exact percentage before and after tax. It's about your heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is clearly shown in Acts 2, where we see that all who believed 
were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them amongst all as anyone had need. This is not a command for us to go out and sell everything we have. It's an example of the New Testament church who, having discovered a great treasure, the true riches of Christ, they went out and sold everything to buy that treasure. A faithful steward is also faithful regardless of how much money they have. Luke 16 says, we see that one who can be trusted with a very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. How many times have we heard the comment, well, when I have enough money, I'll help that struggling couple out. Or maybe when I've won the lottery, I'll start giving some more. This seldom happens since we have not developed the habit. We have not been faithful with a little, and so the Lord will not put us in charge of much. As someone once said, it's not what I would do if a million dollars were my lot. It's what I'm doing with the $10 that I've got. A faithful steward is also faithful with another person's possessions. Luke 16 goes on to say, And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? How faithful are you with your boss's stationery or your landlord's property? When you borrow something, are you faithful to return it on time and in the same condition that you received it? What about the time and talents the Lord has given you? Are you faithful with the gift of 168 hours that you are given each week? What about the talents that the Lord has given you? Are you perhaps sitting on a great musical talent or a teaching talent and not using this to serve the Lord? We all know that time is more valuable than money. How faithful are you with someone else's time? Do you show up late for meetings with people? What do you suppose that communicates about you being a good steward of the time that they have given you? If we waste our possessions, we also learn that the Lord will remove us as stewards. Luke 16 says, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He called him and said, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Let's look at it this way. If you used your employer's money as if it were your own, do you think you would still have a job? And yet that's sometimes how much we use, how we use the Lord's money. Well, what is the reward for being a faithful steward? Besides temporal blessings on this earth, there is that great reward that we look forward to as well. Those precious words that we hear from our Savior's lips, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What if you are not a faithful steward? Well, it's quite the opposite of that, and quite scary. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me ask you something. Since we have established that God owns everything, why do we need to be generous at all? What's the point? God owns it all anyway. 
I believe God uses money as a tool to strengthen our faith. The bottom line is that giving generously takes faith. Giving generously means that I have to trust God to provide, to pr provide for the gap. Giving generously, sorry, giving generously means that I have to trust God. And if there is any area that Satan attacks, it's our faith. It goes right back to the garden when Satan cynically asked our first parents, did God really say? Seeking to sow a little bit of doubt. And these are the questions that he will whisper into your ear. What if I give and some unexpected emergency comes up? Or what if I give and I lose my job? When you question, your faith is weakened and you start to doubt God's promises. That's often all Satan needs in our lives. A very small foothold to plant a seed of doubt. A seed that can grow into a dark mistrust of the Lord and his promises. I have been in this place. In my business, I dug such a deep hole that it promised to ruin us and take away all that Laura and I had worked for. We had to take out loans to pay off other loans. We dug a deeper hole of debt just to keep our heads above water. I confess the enemy found a foothold in my faith and sowed many seeds of doubt towards God and his promises. It really shook me up. I'd look at all the verses where God promised to provide, but I couldn't see him providing. Knowing that the Lord sees debt as slavery, yet him still allowing us to go more and more into debt to dig out of the hole we'd created. To this day, I'm not sure of the full reasons behind this challenge. I think it's like the footsteps in the sand. You all know that story. You don't actually know God is carrying you all, all the time. So your perspective is a bit off. But here we stand, years later. We are not on the street. We still have food, warmth, clothing, transport, all the blessings of this life. During this difficult time, did this stop us from being generous? No, it did not. We continue to support the missionaries and organizations as part of our giving. And where we could not tithe because we were not earning anything, we concentrated on being generous with our time and our talent. The Lord took us to the 11th hour on this before he turned it around. It was yet again another journey of faith into seeing him provide. And that he did. At the right time, he provided enough income in six months to last us for two years. God's timing and abundance are perfect. I take great comfort in knowing that God is both predictable and unpredictable. He's predictable in his faithfulness to provide for our needs, but he's unpredictable in how he will provide for them. Let me finish off with some practical guidance. As mentioned, the word is a treasure trove of advice around being generous with our time, our talent, and our tithe. It is rich in practical topics such as paying taxes, debt, supporting your family, saving, and the list goes on and on and on. Out of this treasure trove, I've chosen a few practical pieces I think might be relevant. The first is to act your way into a new way of feeling. 
Pastor Justin Gardner in his book, Small Change, Big Change, talks about two reasons why a person can't give to God what God asks of them. The first is because you don't want to give to God and his mission. And the second is because you do want to give to God and his mission, but you have nothing to give. If you don't want to give to God and his mission and you have no desire in your heart above your own wants and needs, then you have a serious heart problem. You are in a very dangerous place spiritually. And I would encourage you to change your ways concerning giving to God. Start to obey God's word and start being generous, whether you feel like it or not. If you do this, rest assured, the feelings will catch up to your actions. And the day will come when you love to give to God and you will experience the true joy of giving. If you desire to give to God and his mission, but you never seem to have anything to give, then you might have either a money management problem, a heart problem, or a trust problem. If it's a heart problem, I'd encourage you to reflect on the story that Jesus told about the widow who gave out of her poverty. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. In other words, she had a better understanding of God's economy and generosity than all of the others who came through the door that day. If it's a money management problem, then I would encourage you to connect with a Christian financial advisor. Work through a Christian finance course like Your Money Counts, or consider reaching out to one of the teams at Follow who help Christian families get their finances under control. If it's a trust problem that you're struggling with, then the following story might help. John MacArthur, a well-known American preacher and author, was talking about a pastor who was paid a visit by one of his members. This member was struggling with the idea of giving 10% of his income to church. He told his pastor that he didn't see how he could do it and keep up with paying his bills. The pastor replied, all right, I have an idea. If I promise to make up the difference in your bills, if you, if you were to fall short, do you think you could try tithing for just one month? After thinking about it for a while, the man replied, sure, if you promise to make up the shortage, I guess I could try tithing for one month. The pastor then responded, now, you see, you'd be willing to put your trust in a mere man like myself who possesses so little materially, but you couldn't trust your heavenly father who owns the whole universe. The second, principle, second tip is to give where you are blessed. What this means is that it's fine to have a portfolio of giving where you can support a number of other charities and people. But if you are worshipping at a local church and benefiting from that teaching and that community, then that church should be the place where your giving starts. This should be the home of your tithe. This is an important principle of Christian giving, as I believe it's quite tragic when church attendees direct their funds into other areas, but the pastors at the local church are struggling to pay their bills. And missionaries are forced to spend more on fundraising efforts than on ministering to the lost. Thirdly, there is a saying that goes like this, a closed hand can neither give nor receive, and the same is true for a closed heart. Jesus taught that when you give, it will be given back to you. 
the measure you use in your giving, in other words, whether you're stingy or generous, will determine how you will receive back in your life. Luke 6 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The picture Jesus painted is of a man at harvest time holding a big Hessian bag into which another man was pouring what they had reaped from the harvest. They press it down and push it down and make room for more. They shake it so they can get more in there and then they pour more in and it overflows over the side. That's the image, imagery that Jesus was using. It runs over. I believe the blessing that God pours out into a Christian's life is meant to overflow in the same way to bless others around us. Now I want to make it clear that I don't believe God just tips into our laps from the sky everything we desire. I'm sure we've all met Christians over the years who have said that they were believing God to give them a house, a car, or a business. It was as if it would just suddenly appear as they waited on God. I don't agree with this. Many people who think this way don't seem to hold in high regard the fact that God has given them a brain to use and the energy and skill to work hard. They also struggle to apply to their daily lives the wise principles that God has given them in His Word. Principles like save money and don't spend more than you earn. Grow what you are given. Be vigilant over your resources and if you don't work, then you don't eat. My final piece of advice is to be purposeful about your generosity. Don't start without a plan. Luke 14 says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Develop a kingdom mindset by being proactive in planning where you want to direct funds into God's kingdom. What this means is that we prayerfully consider who or what we want to support and then put our efforts into working hard so that we can earn more money to channel into those areas. This is a kingdom mindset at work. Jim Elliott, a missionary who was martyred trying to bring the gospel to South American Indians, had a great kingdom mindset when he said his famous words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's illustrate this with a story about Charles Wesley. Best known for his prolific hymn writing and for being one of the founding fathers of the Methodist Church, Wesley began to limit his expenses so he would have more money to give to the poor. He lived in economically uncertain times, yet from humble beginnings... He became such a well-known preacher and author that his income eventually reached 1,400 pounds per year. In today's terms, that's about half a million dollars a year. So what did he do with all of this wealth? Did he only tithe it? No. Wesley went way beyond tithing. He disciplined himself to live on just 30 pounds of the 1,400 pounds he earned every year. He gave away 98% of all he earned and lived, and he only survived on just 2%. Wesley preached that Christians should not merely tithe, 
but give away all extra income once the family and creditors were taken care of. He believed that with increasing income, the Christian standard of giving should increase, not their standard of living. Let me say that again. With increased income, the Christian standard of giving should increase, not their standard of living. Wesley had three simple rules which guided him. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. What a great example of Christian generosity. And what a challenge to all of us sitting here today. Imagine the impact our church could have if we had a mindset to earn more so that we could give more. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.